everyone. Welcome back to But Why the Podcast. And today we are talking with Charlie and Vlas Parlopanides, the showrunners behind Netflix's Blood of Zeus. Hey. Hey. Thanks for having us on, Kate. We truly appreciate it. Appreciate it. Big Thank time. Thanks for talking with me. I have many questions because as our <laughs> listeners know, if they've been following me, they know that I kind of didn't tweet about anything else for a straight week. <laughs> oh, oh, that's awesome. Oh. Well, we hope we have good answers. I, I, I'm like a little intimidated now. Oh. I'm sure y'all do. Because um, my first one is a really easy one. What was the inspiration for Blood of Zeus? It was Charlie's idea, so I'm going to let him take this one. If, Kate, if you want to know the truth, the, the real truth to where the kind of mustard seed of all of this began is that we had this idea to do a live action anthology show about Greek mythology, a la American Horror Story. Oh, wow. Where we would take 10 episodes per season and really flesh out and tell the stories of Greek mythology. So the first season what our pitch was, was to do the story of Icarus and Daedalus, which is just like this amazing story that, you know, most people, when they think of Icarus, they just think of, you know, Kid Icarus when they were young playing Nintendo or uh, just him flying too close to the sun. But the actual story is this incredibly rich story. And his father was this incredible inventor and he was accused of murder and he had to flee Athens and take refuge, you know, in basically what is Crete in the Minoan civilization. And he was almost like Tony Stark, like he was one of the first weapons inventors of the ancient world. And and where that story goes is amazing. And we still believe in that show. Um, but long story short, we pitched that to our agent. He liked it. He set up a couple meetings. And, and like agents often ask is that, you know, okay, well, if this is the first season, what are some of the other seasons? And if you really know Greek mythology, there are a couple other characters and stories that crisscross into that. And when we were kind of breaking that down, if you look at two of those stories, if you were to take half of one story and half of another and put it together, we said, oh, that could be really interesting. And that was kind of the, the kernel of the idea for what would become Blood of Zeus, which was then something we just started writing just as like a short story, just as something kind of just a creative exercise. Yeah. And then thankfully, when the time came, when we sat down with Netflix and John Dredarian there and he said, do you have any ideas in the mythological space that could be a cool anime show? We had always believed that this could work in that space, too. And we're like, oh, this is it. The fates are smiling down on us. Like, this is when we pitched this idea. So that's really how it all began. And we appreciate people that, you know, believe, well, we have to thank John because John had the guts to green light this. This had never been done before, a show like this. He also had the foresight to say, you know what, I think this, there's going to be an appetite for this. Yeah. So, you know, we're incredibly indebted to John for having the guts and for believing in the show from day one. And Kate, the last thing I'll say, because we're kind of belaboring this answer probably a little bit, but. But uh, for your fans that like Castlevania, John was also the one that greenlit that. And oh, wow. So, and so part of it is, and like, you know, you know, you're a gamer, you know, video games to TV or movie adaptations, they don't have the greatest track record, but yeah. John really believed in that. That wasn't like a slam dunk when he said yes to that. And our show would not exist if not for the success of Castlevania. And so we give a lot of credit to John. He really believes that there is an audience for this kind of mature you know, animated 2D storytelling. And I think the audiences are responding. So, uh, but we're very grateful to, to John for, for rolling the dice and people that like Castlevania or our show, 
you know, it's all because of John. And there's something really beautiful about the beauty and the violence that Powerhouse is known for in animating that just works so well with Greek myth. One of the things that I was a little worried about when I heard about, because I, I love Greek mythology. I, I grew up on Xena. Like, uh, that was my bread and butter. <laughs> she was one of my first heroes. I've always been drawn to it. But sometimes it, it can feel saturated, like second nature. Am I going to get the same story again? And, and you all worked on Immortals. So, and so you've told a Greek mythology story before. What was different about crafting Blood of Zeus and kind of making sure that you throw enough, uh, you know, kind of swerve a little bit when people think you're going a certain route? Because that was something that was really exciting for me watching was, oh, I know what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, I don't know what's happening at all. It was a, it was a lot of, sorry, it was a lot of fun. And, and as, as writers, you know, part of the writing process involves asking questions. What if we were to do this? And then that leads you down a path. And one of the things that we always thought was interesting that the tales of Greek mythology are an oral tradition. It is an oral yeah. tradition. It's passed down from generation to generation. They're not transcribed. And well, maybe if they were never transcribed, maybe one was lost. So if we postulate that this is one of those lost tales, that gave us a creative license where we could kind of go anywhere with it. And as Charlie mentioned, we love Greek mythology. It was, those were the very first stories we heard when we were children from our mother, from our grandmother. So what that afforded us, that kind of device for lack of a better way or lack of a better word, uh, or using a better word, was that we could have all these beloved characters that we had heard about growing up. We could have Zeus, we could have Ares, we could have Hermes, Hera, and we can put them into a story that felt original. And then it was a very personal story for us because yeah. Heron for us is someone who is the quintessential outcast. He is ostracized. When we're children of immigrants, there were times in our lives where we felt we were outsiders yeah. and we were made to feel less in certain situations at times. And we think that's very relatable. And we think most people at some point in their life feel that way, feel like they're a bit of an outsider. So this one was far more personal, uh, Blood of Zeus, I would say, in comparison to, say, Immortals. We loved Immortals, very proud of the film. We also got rewritten twice on that. So this project with Blood of Zeus, we were involved from the very beginning, from the inception of idea to completion of story. And to your point, though, Kate, you know, I understand people kind of feeling like been there, done that. You, you deal with that with executives, even though there's lots of executives who grew up on Xena and Hercules and, and reading these stories. They do feel sometimes you can almost see their eyes glaze over when yeah. you mention Greek mythology because they feel that, oh, we've had so many iterations of it. You know, so what we realized, because we had a great love for Greek mythology and we wanted to find a way to play in this sandbox, is that we had to find a way to make it feel fresh to them. And in, in some ways, we think it makes it a more compelling story. You know, my wife's cousin, uh, you know, has a PhD from Princeton. She teaches, you know, Greek history and mythology and Byzantine history. And she was, it was nice to watch a myth and not know where it was going. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I do think that, but we still try to stay true to some of the tropes and the character relationships and the dynamics that are inherent in that, in that world. And what makes the show fun is for people to be like, oh, that actually existed in Greek mythology. They used that little tidbit here, that little tidbit there, and then they went this way and that way with it. So that also brings people that are true purists of Greek mythology. Yeah. It, it, 
it affords them something where they can look at it and say, oh yeah, that actually existed, that didn't, what have you, and that's fun. And that actually goes perfectly into my next, into my next question because I love Hera. I love her so dang much. Um, and the fleece. She, yeah. I don't think I have seen a more powerful depiction of Hera <laughs> in media than her just given that stare with that fleece on. Uh. And it, for me, as somebody who has known Greek mythology, that's a kingly thing. That, that, and there is so much about Hera where she's not just regal, she's not just beautiful, but she is very much more of a king than Zeus is a king. Yes. What went into fleshing out her character that way? Because when we think of Hera, we think scorned woman who's just very angry that her husband slept around. Um, and we get a different Hera here. It's a great point, Kate. And, and part of it is, Voss kind of touched on this a little bit, Greek mythology isn't like the Bible where they had an ecumenical council and everyone sat down and they said, this is the one definitive version. In Greek mythology, because it was an oral tradition, there are lots of different variations of the myths. But in some of the stories, they make the point of stating that Hera was the first queen of the heavens. Yeah. And only through her marriage to Zeus did he become kind of the king of the heavens. And yeah. so part of it is that just, again, you read things and it just sparks an idea that if this character was the queen and now she's sharing this kind of title with her husband and her husband is terrible and he's not good to her, like why not have her take back the throne? Why not have her fight and use her power? She doesn't have to be this just scorned woman. And for us, we love Hera. She's one of our favorite characters and, and we love seeing her being strong, both in the sense where she, you know, truthfully, she kind of outmaneuvers Zeus through most of the first season and then she's also, so she's not only just intellectually, you know, out, you know, beating him on the chessboard, but she's also physically powerful. And for us, we thought that would just be a great way to represent her. We could talk about Hera all day. We love her. And she's smarter than Zeus, flat out. She's just yeah. smarter. You know, she's a real woman. And what we love is what Claudia Christian did with the character. Because as you said, there's the cliched version where she's just angry. But she's more than just angry. She's hurt. Yeah. At her core, she's hurt. She's been loyal to Zeus. She's been that, that, you know, the wife that every man would want. And she's hurt by his infidelities. But and she's going to use her power to deal with it. She's not just going to be this wilted. She's brother. not she's weak. Yeah. She's not pathetic. She's someone who is very strong and also smarter than the king of the gods. And there's also what we also love. We explored anger as a theme. And mm -hmm. it, it's, in, it's in three different characters. It's in Heron, it's in Seraphim, and it's in Hera. And for me, at least, I would say that Heron is able to let go of his anger and he overcomes the adversity. D Seraphim, he's not able to let go of his, his anger and it ends up hurting him. And for me, at least for, for Hera, she is forever changed by her anger. And yeah. what we would love to do in season two is to bring that redemption. She wants to redeem herself. We want to see the full character of Hera, and it's not just, you know, this anger scorned queen, yeah. she's so much more than that. If I can say two things though, because one, I want to give a shout out to Katie Silva, who at Powerhouse is their lead character designer. And one of the things we kind of said is that all of this story unfolds kind of post mythology. And so they took that into the character design. And so whenever she would send over her work, it was like Christmas morning, we couldn't wait to see, you know, <laughs> And when she sent Hera and she had the one with the golden fleece, we're like, that's exactly, you took what we said and perfectly, you know, encapsulized in this image. And it was just like, we're like, we have to use this design. Um, so that glad. was just incredible. Well, 
So glad you mentioned that because it's so true. It, it really, that was Katie, you know, and. And I can't remember what the second point I was going to make. Maybe it'll come to me later, but. Uh... <laughs> well, on the topic of anger, I do you want to bring up Zeus too. Like I would say for, for as a viewer and somebody who is, I actually got to do the hands-on um, demo with Ubisoft's um, Immortal Phoenix Rising, like literally oh, cool. the week before Oh, I watched. Elias. I watched Blood of Zeus. So, <laughs> how was that? I, you know, Elias, who's in our show, and I saw that. And to me, like I love Zelda. Like during quarantine, my daughter and I. It is phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, it is. It is. I would say even more expansive. Wow. Then Breath, Breath of the Wild. Then I yeah. So the first islands we got five hours to play. Um, four hours was spent in the first zone and I still did oh. not complete it. And I realized, oh, I have to review this. I have to go to the next area. <laughs> um, so yeah. I have to move highly, on. <laughs> yeah, I, highly recommend it. Um, oh, wow. But like, I, 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 so it, my mind has been in like, okay, gotta think about Greek myth, thinking about Greek myth, like <laughs> stuff. Um, but with Hera, where we see super, super strong Hera, we see a vulnerable Zeus in Blood of Zeus too, which I've, I mean, he's still a bad, a, a bad husband. Like that's yeah. the core of Zeus. He's made bad life choices. Exactly. He's made bad life choices. But he's vulnerable and he, a masculine figure, is who is teaching Heron to overcome his anger. And that for me stuck out a lot because you've kind of almost reversed the gender dynamics of who teaches anger, who teaches vulnerability um what like why like wh why show zeus that way that was very astute that you caught on to that too that was like when i was like oh wow she she really watched this closely and and i was like I, that was very i was very impressed with that and you know charlie and i we always ask ourselves too like what haven't we seen before you know that's very important how can we make this as new and as fresh as we can and that vulnerability was one of those things you know how interesting would it be to show the most powerful god of all but also show that vulnerable side. And I think when characters can do that, when you see yeah. a character that's as powerful as that and also vulnerable, it makes it three-dimensional for me. It makes it much more interesting. And if you look at kind of one of the backstories that is given to him in Greek mythology, because he wasn't raised by his parents, he was sent off and lived in secret with his grandmother. Well, part of it is like, we know what that's like to be raised by a Greek grandmother and, and how they're wise and kind of thoughtful. And so, so again, this is a kid who, if you look at him just as a character, now we know he's a deity, he's the God of gods, but he's a guy who grew up without a father, was raised by his grandmother out on, you know, a mountain. And so maybe he can be more sensitive. And we just thought like, that's an interesting kind of approach to it. And the one last thing I will say for Hera is that, you know, we're big believers in, you know, what, you know, Aristotle wrote in Poetics. And he said, one, there's only so many great kind of tragic flaws. And one of the great flaws is for when a character takes something too far and they realize, oh my God, what have I done? And for us, the perfect kind of, you know, example of that is Alec Guinness and the bridge over the River Kwai. And we thought like, well, maybe that can be Hera's journey in this first season. Oh my God, what have I done? And then hopefully we want to bring her back gangbusters. She's almost like our winter soldier um, in season two you know, uh, a little tea. Well, I won't get into that stuff, but but that was the idea for, for Hera. You know, like, God well, willing, if we get a chance to, to tell the story. And that was, that went into the thinking of Zeus. If you really look at him as a character and what his childhood was like, wouldn't it be interesting to play it this way? And I will say, I've never liked Zeus ever on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Blood of Zeus. I was like, you know what? 
This guy's a lot, a lot more than a cheater. He's a bad husband, but boy, is he a good dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's interesting about that too, and it, I think it makes a little bit of uh, what happens to to Seraphim a little more tragic. He, you know, he helps. Zeus helps Heron and gives him that fatherly advice, but no one ever does that for Seraphim. There's no one there to say, you know what, this is kind of what you should do or that should do. He's kind of left on his own. He has to kind of figure things out on his own. And so I always thought that was an interesting component to the, to the story as well. Yeah. And I, 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 wanted, I wanted to keep this as spoiler-free as I could, okay. yeah, but I want to talk, I think we can do like a little spoiler-like because I have to talk about Seraphim. <laughs> Yeah. Because I love that man very much. Oh. I shouldn't, but I do. He ah, you talk. should. No, it's good. <laughs> and there, there are elements of him, um, him and Heron, as they work as a pair, just kind of being mirrors of each other. What went into building out somebody? Um, how do I phrase this? Seraphim has a tragic past just like Heron does. And you kind of get this, this shift, right? Our, our heroes have tragedy and choose goodness and villains have tragedy and choose bad. But there's so much about Heron's quest that isn't necessarily bad. He's just looking to right the wrongs that keep happening. Right. Um, so what, what went into kind of like trying to ground him almost with like empathy versus just like, oh, this is a bad dude. I'm so glad you said that, Kate, because you encapsulated one of the first things we, we said to Sean, our director, who we think did an incredible job, is that we, we know that people might read the scripts and say, okay, well, Seraphim and Hera are the villains. But for us, there are no villains. We have antagonists. We have antagonists, but they're not villains. We feel that we want the audience, because we love these two characters. We empathize with them. You know, we, Seraphim and Hera are probably our two favorite characters. Um, it's just that they're initiating the conflict, but we don't yeah. want people, we don't, we didn't want them to feel like villains. So I think that's what you're touching upon. And to be honest, sometimes, you know, unfortunately in life and then in tragic stories of Greek mythology, we are shaped by unfortunate beginnings and they lead us on a certain trajectory. And that's the, the cruel sting of fate sometimes. Um, and I think that's the, that's what happens to Seraphim, uh, especially in the first season. I love when Charlie says that too, that we're, you know, they're antagonists. They're, they're not evil per se. And, and it comes back to, and we talk about this, you know, before Sorkin spends a lot of time trying to figure out what each character wants and then how they go about getting what they want defines their character. And we always believed in that. And also too, where Seraphim is and then where we see him eventually, God willing, if we're able to get a couple more seasons, it's, it's an awesome, awesome character journey. And uh, one I think that people will, absolutely love. Um, one of the other things I, I want to ask too is something myself and a lot of other fans in, in, in our community actually praised was uh, the diversity of skin tone for not just the people but the gods and it was beautiful to see and, and Powerhouse does an amazing job with animating the browns. I mean I, I see myself in media sometimes like yo that person's pretty yellow why is that that's not a brown color <laughs> um, and so like getting to see that executed and executed seamlessly, like I never, none of it ever felt out of place. Was that a decision that you all consciously made um, or was it just kind of a process? It's something that we have to give Powerhouse a ton of credit to. And we also have to tip our hat to Tarzem. Uh, if you even look at Immortals, he did a great job of kind of trying to be more inclusive and, and yeah. showing people of different, you know, colors and ethnicities. And, and 
we believe that's, that has value. Like we know what it's like to be the other. And so now we think that powerhouse, listen, they're great. Like I could, we could sit here and do an hour about all the things powerhouse <laughs> is great at. And like, and one thing you mentioned before too, whether it's Castlevania or Sace or uh, Sace Manos or, or our show, like they do the sacred and the profane beautifully, like something yeah. like brutal, like, you know, they're known for kills, but they also do beautiful things too. And they also are great at showing people of different <laughs> colors and like, you know, and it's this great kind of alchemy of the two. Um, yeah. And so it's just something that like, you know, I think we all should be conscious of. And I think that powerhouse just delivers. They just do it so well. Um, you know, we can't draw to save our lives, so we can't give credit, but it's something that, you know, and even to like giving gods, like, you know, at first when they said like, Katie's like, I think I'm going to make Hera purple. And we're like, purple? We're like, you know, if it wasn't for Katie, because she done such a good job with all the other <laughs> characters, I would have been like, I don't know, you know, but we always feel you got to let people just take yeah. a swing and try. And then it's like, oh, this is awesome. You know, uh, our, my daughter wants purple hair now. You know what I mean? Like, it's uh, great. <laughs> all of those things are important to us. And, you know, we can relate in many ways. In some ways we can't. We maybe don't look like the guys that can relate, but we can. And it's very yeah. important for us. And so it's something that we're very proud of. Oh, that's awesome. And and I do want to get a little bit into this because you know you, you've noted how this is a personal story and how, you know, given y'all's identities and, and backgrounds that this really impacted your writing process and the storytelling piece. Tell me a little bit more about like how you all kind of put yourself into this. Did you use like maybe the ways that your family had described some of these, you know, these characters in mythology, maybe more so than like the traditional, like not traditional, but like what mainstream is used to hearing about these characters and everything like did you lean on that in terms of like leaning on we can share something funny with you so when our mother would tell us these stories when we were kids and again they were the first stories we ever heard she would always end them with a cliffhanger and we're like oh man ma seriously what like and she, well, if you're good tomorrow you can get to hear the rest of the story so when it came time to writing these we're like oh you know what maybe we'll just kind of leave it with a cliffhanger and try to imbue that into the show <laughs> so you can thank and, our mom and, for that. it was you know just this was just always, I think, when you're young, you're very impressionable. And, and you know, we our mom used to tell us these stories. Our, our grandmother, Yakita, would tell us stories. Like, and, like, we would have to trade. Like, sometimes we, we'd have to translate Little House in the Prairie for her because she didn't, you know, understand <laughs> English. So we'd have to translate it into Greek, but then we would get rewarded. Afterwards, she would tell us a story. Um, and I think that it just, th that's where those seeds of this love of this world and genre came from. Uh, and to be honest, our, our mom and our grandmother, they're pretty good storytellers, you know, like, uh, and, you know, I, I just think like Vlad said, our mom was good. She was good with cliffhangers. And I think that that's something that's stuck with us. And we're all shaped by experience and just being drawn into a world that's exciting, that can make you laugh, that can make you cry, that can make you forget about your everyday life. We're like, wouldn't it be great if we could create something that could elicit those types of emotions from an audience? And it's like, you know, kind of like what Scorsese says, and I'm not comparing it to Scorsese, believe me. But what he likes to do is he tries to write and tries to make something that moves him emotionally. And then he hopes that it'll have an effect, that same effect on an audience. And that's what we were trying to do. And we were blessed to work with Sean Negotian, who was a brilliant director and a brilliant team from the, all the artists to our composer. And it was never about ego. It was never, our mantra is the Spielberg mantra, best idea wins. So it was always, what's the best idea? How can we plus this? How can we make the script better? And it was always in the best interest of the story and the characters. And so we were just incredibly fortunate to have the people that we had working on this and that we were all on that same creative page. And it was a, a sheer joy professionally and creatively. 
That's awesome. Um, and I have to, I have to ask just for my own personal, uh, I, uh, I love Apollo very much. I also <laughs> love Hermes and Aries very much. Aries is a little sad boy that I just want to hug. Um, <laughs> like that, that, <laughs> um, and, and there's, they don't like, they have like small moments throughout the season. But you can tell as a viewer that there's there's a story to be told just from how the three operate, how they fight each other, how they're always shown. Um, why? And if 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 season two comes, will I get more of my <laughs> boys? <laughs> you know, the one thing, like if people really know their Greek mythology, there's a story where, you know, basically Ares has a, an affair with Aphrodite. And when they get, you know, Hephaestus finds out and he traps them under the net. And in the story, they always describe that Apollo and Hermes like make fun of Ares for getting caught in the net. And so to us, like we have another brother that just feels like a very, and they're, you know, half brothers, but, um, but that felt like very brotherly. So I think yeah. that is the seed of where that like kind of dynamic between them. And we used to wrestle and fight and we, you know, Vlas put our other brother through the sheetrock in the wall of our house one time and our <laughs> dad was furious at us. Um, and so part of it is if, you know, the Pantheon was originally the six gods and then their children became the rest of the 12. But we just felt like they should not be childlike, but have more of a sibling um, kind of dynamic between That them. speaks to the dynamic beautifully. And what I would add to that, and, you know, sometimes people ask us, what was the most challenging um, thing about the show? And I'll tell you what the most challenging thing was, that the scripts had to be 20, 22 pages. And we had so much love for all these characters. But at the end of the day, as you know, in writing, you only have so much real estate. And we had to focus on the main characters. And there was, we just didn't have the real estate to include more of the stories of all of, you know, of Apollo, of Hermes, yeah. of Ares. Even for Alexia, we had this great backstory. And it was in there right up until the very end, very end. And we were going to explain it. And then it got cut and it killed us. It killed us. And now people are saying, like, well, what was your backstory? Well, it was there. But, but the, the, so we're going to explore God willing in season two. But what people have to understand is that you only have, this is we don't have an hour we don't have an hour we have you know 20 something minutes to tell this story and that's the biggest challenge you're given certain parameters that you have to work within and so you want to give each of the characters as much of their moment as you can and we're going to explore those characters god willing in season two we were maybe over ambitious to be honest but yeah. part of it is like it's true Greek mythology just has this huge epic scope yeah. and so like we wanted to try and include that but then it's always like well guys we got to like pair some things and we got to lose some things. And there was a couple of sequences, especially one for Alexia that like we offered to put our own money into the show to like get it in there. And Netflix was just like, guys, no, we're not going to meet our delivery dates. Like we just have to let this one go. I was like, I'll write you a check right now. And and it is, he too, we fell into that trap because we love these characters and we, and we wanted to bring them in. I'm like, well, we got to have this character and this character. But then they'll come penalize you. with like, oh, well, you didn't develop this one. Or you didn't develop that one. But yeah. I remember, no, but we, did, we just didn't have the time. And, you know. You just do the best you can do. You just exactly. do the best you can do. Yeah, and that and that was something that I, I think I noted in my reviews, like because I think I got I caught glimpses of Athena, and then I I knew who Aphrodite was right away. <laughs> I tried to be really like okay, but I get it. Like we have so many of these other people we have. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. So well, I, you know, I Kate, do hope for more later. There's one choice that I'm not sure. Like if we we always kind of see see Athena as kind of Captain Marvel, 
and we yeah. want to do in our in our crazy <laughs> Blossom Charlie kind of overthinking things, we would love to do a Blood of Medusa story where Athena is almost like what Zeus is to Heron, Athena is to Medusa in this. And that and there's a phenomenal. and where we would go with that. So we just said, okay, like it. we'll just keep her on the side. Now I'm not sure if that was the right thing because maybe we should have had her, you know, more there. But that was like, you know, that's what ended up happening there because yeah. we love Athena. Uh, and we think she's a great character and can be super cool. And listen, you just, I never understood this when I read it when I was in college. Uh, Lucas said, you don't finish a movie, you abandon it. And yeah. now I understand. Like, you just do the best you can. And then, you know, in the end, it, it becomes, um, you know, you, you just do the best you can. And what you can get in there, you get in there. Yeah. And, and, and what you all got in there was phenomenal. And, and, I, and again, I will reiterate, Hera is like probably actually we did a we we were raising money for saint jude's and we did a live episode um yeah. and we did a review uh of my anime podcast we did a review of blood of zeus and then we did uh defending our uh our, our bad characters and i actually <laughs> chose Hera as one of them and i was like look Hera did nothing wrong ever she yes hi uh, we agree with you. <laughs> so I, I think what you all did was, was really beautiful. And and one of the things I do want to ask too, are there elements um, that you don't think fans have caught yet that maybe we'll, we'll catch on like our second watch or a third watch? If you're like me, you're probably on your third watch right now, listeners. Uh. Um, <laughs> um, is there anything that you're kind of hoping like uh, people find that they may not have uh, not, not have mentioned yet? The one thing I'll say is that there are three shots in the show that are purely setups for season two. And to be clear, Netflix has only committed to the first season. We hope we can get the viewership numbers to get a second season. But there are three things in there, three shots that are um, like they're meant to seed so that when we come back for season two, be like, oh, you remember this? And you remember this? And you see this person here, what they're doing? This is all going to be paying off in in season like there's a spy in in olympus you know i'll just say that and there's yeah. other things that you see that were just there for setup well also too what i'll add like you do get more when you see it again you're like oh if you're watching very carefully you notice hades in episode one he has mm -hmm. the biden he kills a giant with it and then later on so it's not a, such a big surprise oh the biden is hades you see little things you're like oh i missed that so if you watch it closely, yeah, you, there are things that you're going to pick up on. Um, you know, that, that was one of them. Yeah. And uh, so one of my final questions is, what has the fan response been like, y'all? I mean, I know what it's like from my corner of Twitter, which is all of us want to marry every single god that we saw on screen. <laughs> um, and Alexia and Heron. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what has it been like watching your, you know, y'all's, creation go in go into the into the wild for me at least you know it it's been very gratifying because i know how hard everyone worked on this sean negotiant again our director and he gave blood for this project he you know rarely do we come across people that work harder than charlie and i and he worked harder than us he pulled all-nighters and he led by example so when he did that there was the trickle down effect everyone that was working on the show saw that and yeah. then they worked equally as hard and so to see people now get the recognition that they deserve that for me is incredibly rewarding charlie Manson mentioned you know katie silva she's one of them 
Paul um, Francis, our composer, worked so very hard and everyone almost to the T has been commenting on the music and yeah. Greg Lewis, our editor, and you know, Michael Hughes, our, one of our producers, and again, Sean. So it just feels really good to ask people to like, hey, here's the story. We think it's pretty good. Come on this journey with us. They do it. They've worked as hard as they can. And then to see people really like it and accept it and, and talk about it. And, and the reception has been great beyond our wildest dreams. You know, it's funny when you just even look through the top 10 and you have all these live, you know, live action children, there's like blood of Zeus in there. Like, what, what's that doing there? What's that doing in there? And, you know, at one time, Charlie knows the statistics better than I do, but it's been very well received and it's rewarding me, for me, especially for everyone that's so worked so hard on it. Yeah. And the one thing, only thing I'll add is that it's just really great to see the way the Greeks in Greece have embraced it. Um, we've spoken with a bunch of, you know, journalists there. We've gotten amazing reviews there. That to us is really important because anyone that knows anything about what's been going on in Greece the past 10, 15 years, they've really suffered with all the austerity and, and economic downturn. And, you know, we say this isn't our story. This is Greece's story. Yeah. Um, we're just building off of, off of their pantheon. So it's just great, you know, to see all the positive, you know, messages and reviews from, the, from you know, Greeks in Greece. And we love to be honest that, you know, here in the West, like there's this Greek mythology renaissance between a bunch of these video games. I've been playing Hades like crazy. It's an amazing <laughs> game. Uh, you know, all this Greek culture and Greek mythology out in the forefront for us, it makes us smile um, because we're very proud of, of, of our heritage and of our people and, and of this tradition. And the fact that you liked it, like that makes me feel good. Like somebody saw it and, and it just, they were entertained. It made them feel good. It made them smile. Like, that feels good, to, you know, because you put something out in the world and, and, and it just feels good to know that it, it, it did that for someone. Yeah. Well, it, it, I will say I'm on my third rewatch. Oh, uh, so it is, it, it, it did, it, it makes me very happy. Um, and that, it's one of the reasons why I was super excited to get to book this with you guys because like, I, I really like talking to people like when I admire their work because I just want to know more. Um, and uh, kind of, I guess my, my last question is really just, what do you want people to take away from this? Like when, when they finish that last episode, other than like, oh my God, that's it. Where's my season two? What else? That's what I was like, that, that cliffhanger, I will say, <laughs> uh, got me very excited, but also, damn it, where's my season two? Um, what do you want people to take away from Blood of Zeus? I have, I have an answer, but I also, well, I, I want them well, first, what I would want to say is like, I'm just curious for myself is like, what do you want? I'm curious now to get some of that feedback. What do you want? Now you saw it, you know, you saw it carefully. You're obviously very smart. What would you want in season two? I'm just curious to hear that. I want to see more of the familial relationships between the gods. Um, and that comes just from when we see Hera and Zeus fight and the different gods go to different sizes. At first I noticed that the bastards were on one side, but then I started Googling some of the backgrounds. Like, wait, no, not all the bastards are on Zeus's sides. Why are some of these on Hera's side? <laughs> and so that kind of threw me for a loop. And I was like, well, was the, did they just get placed there? Was there a reason? What's happening? Like I, it, Smart. somebody, somebody uh, in our discord, we were talking about, they're like, I would like a real housewives of Olympus. <laughs> we just get to see what is happening between these. Cause there's obviously so much relationship between them. And as much as it is Heron's story, it is also a story of Zeus and Hera. It is a story of like, 
how people are just mad that Zeus doesn't follow his own rules. And so for me, <laughs> like, I want to see more of those elements, especially because my favorite god is Athena and Artemis, and it always has been. Any game that I can play where I can play them, I play them. <laughs> Like, I played wow. uh, the game Smite for a really long time, and I played Athena and Artemis. That's cool. Um, so just kind of getting a more sense of that. Um, familial component, interpersonal yeah. relationships, and on Olympus. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And we have, we have a lot of that baked into what we hope to do with season two. And the one thing that we've kind of talked about, but again, this is just Charlie and Voss probably being crazy, is that it would just be maybe even cool to do almost like a, a, a Blood of Zeus Pantheon show where yeah. you show the story of each of the 12 gods and kind of come to understand what their backstory is. Um, because yeah. again, sometimes some of the choices we're making we're saying this is kind of post-mythology. So like Hermes initially was like a trickster and always getting in trouble and and basically, but the one thing he wanted was to be elevated to the Pantheon. And basically Zeus had to sit him down and say like, stop messing with Apollo's cows, like get your act together. And, and if you do that, then maybe you'll be elevated to the Pantheon. And then he became like the most dutiful son. And so when we meet him in our show, he's just the dutiful son, yeah. you know, doing what his father asked. You know, Artemis and Apollo, like, there's part of us, some of the storyline of what their past was is going to come out in season two. But, um, but there is part of it that we would love to kind of tell the traditional thing about how, like, their mother was expelled from Olympus because Hera found out that Zeus had this affair and then she was trying to kill the mother. And then when, you know, uh, Artemis and, and Apollo were born, they killed the snake that was sent to kill their mother and everyone that had wronged their mother, they basically said like, hey, you're never going to treat our mother like this again. Like we always thought that was a badass story. Um, and it's part of the reason why we said, well, well, yeah, they're going to stick with Zeus because look what Hera did to them, you know, in the past. Yeah. But like, it's always that balance of like, how much can we look back while we go forward? And so we're toying yeah. with a couple different things, but it's interesting that you mentioned all of that. Because yeah. what I'm hearing from you is that you like the soap, the soap component. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Because, well, because for me, like, big battles are great, but I have to have some investment in that big battle. Like, the reason it was awesome to see the giants rise up was because I had just watched Hera handle all of her anger and turn this into a giant weapon, and that's why that was awesome. Okay. Um, so for me, okay. that, and I would say the other thing is more creatures, like humans to me, even demigods sometimes are boring. Yeah. <laughs> so I no. want like more creatures, like more, I like, I, I love Gorgons. Um, so when oh, you, know, you said earlier, I was like, oh my God. Um, just like those types of things. Like, I, I don't know. Humans can get boring sometimes. Not that y'all's humans were boring at all. Like, mm -hmm. I like Heron and Alexia were amazing. I do want more Alexia because she is a badass. Yeah. But like that, that more godly side, because I think we're so focused when we take in Greek mythology is always from the position of the person we can put ourselves in, the person yeah. kind of human versus just like, oh yeah, this is all the mess the gods got going up here. <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's very interesting. And that's yeah. so, because it's interesting because too, I can even hear like they, Netflix, they have all these different kind of buckets that they kind of categorize projects falling into. And they said the monster bucket is a big bucket for them. And we're like, we love monsters. And that's why we, Medusa and how we would kind of have fun with that story. We're like, oh, that will be the monster bucket. And like, because then who, but that's a whole nother story. But it's so funny you say that because I think we all grew up loving that stuff. 
Yeah, we had a couple more monsters. We even had some at the bog, you know, where oh, yeah. Yeah, we had to cut stuff. some things out. You know, again, yeah. there are budgetary restraints. Uh, but these these answers are incredibly helpful. And, and they're basically affirming a lot of the things that, that we believe, but it just helps to hear them. And, and totally, yeah. you know, it, it's so interesting that you say that. The only reason the action works is because you care about the main characters. And sometimes, like, in these big budget action films, like, and they're like the action is great but if you don't care about the character mm -hmm. you don't it doesn't matter and that's why die hard works or you know some of the because you're you really are vested in the character first and foremost so yeah. it's very astute and totally agree with you on that yeah uh back into not me talking back to what you guys talking <laughs> So what do you want people to take away from from you remember oh listen I, I just I, I hope that they're entertained. I hope that it sparks an interest in Greek mythology. Maybe that they'll sit down and maybe read more about Greek mythology or you know, God willing one day maybe even visit Greece. I know like us growing up and and you know, before we started going off to college, we would sometimes go and spend summers in Greece and there was a time where our family moved back to Greece for about a year and a half. Uh, Voss and our other siblings went to elementary school there. But when you're actually in that place and you're at Olympia and, and you see some of these places where these stories take place, I don't know, it makes, it just sends a shudder through my through my bones. And I think it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. So, so I hope people, it'll help spark their love and, and affinity for Greek mythology and maybe even visit Greece one day. There's nothing that, you know, we would love more as Greeks for, for people to share in that. Uh, and to see, you know, our homeland, and, and we hope uh, we hope they can take something uh, like that away from this. I, I would, I love what I love that. I, I that, and and what I would would maybe add is that, you know, we're living in a crazy time. I think that it's incredibly stressful. I think that um, it, it's a challenging time. So I hope that people can just watch the show and get immersed in the show feel good, go through the gambit of emotions, and at the end, be a little inspired. And, and if, if we can do that and put a smile on someone's face and make them feel a little bit better, for me, that, that's worth it. it. That's worth telling a story, sharing a story, just to make someone feel a little bit better. I mean, it's easy, it's not easy, it's always challenging to tell a story, but to put someone down or to put something down, and it's like, instead of like, you know, there is graphic components to this story, there's no doubt, but there's also, I, I like to say, inspirational moments too. There's the sacred and the profane. And I, I feel like you kind of need both. Um, or at least we like having stories that have both. So it, it's about sharing something that can just make people's lives, even if it's just a tiny little bit better um, by taking them out of their life, to have them experience something um, and makes them feel a little bit better. That's, that's good with me. Awesome. Well, that's, that's all I have. Um, so why don't you like anything you have to plug where people can follow the show on the internet or they can follow you guys, like how people can support the show, like take this time to do that. <laughs> we don't want to bore anyone. They don't have to follow us, but please <laughs> watching the show, keep telling your friends to watch it so we can get a season two. Keep a lookout. We're going to have some promotional pieces that are going to be coming out. They're going to give a little insight into some of the scenes that, that are in the show. And just want to thank everyone that's watched it and has supported it and, and has told their friends to watch it. I want to thank you because at the end of the day, it's all about the fans and we're very grateful to the people that have watched it. And the one thing I'll just echo uh, what Vlas said is that 
you know, Netflix has their process, but we do know the first 30 days are incredibly important and the viewership numbers, those first 30 days are important. So if you like the show and you want to recommend it to your friends, please recommend it to them before December 1st, because <laughs> uh, that'll definitely help us in, in terms of the calculus that goes into them, you know, deciding whether they want to order another season. It's true.